chapter 12. Matthew 12, we'll finish this chapter this morning. This is not the only place the Bible has something to say about what it means to be a true follower of Jesus, but it's one place where we look at the idea of true Christianity. And what we're going to see here this morning is that when you trust Jesus, it touches every aspect of our lives. Faith in Christ changes our hearts, our actions, and our relationship. It changes our hearts, our actions, and our relationships. We've got several paragraphs we're going to read through here this morning. I'll just read through the first one now, beginning in Matthew 12, verse 33. We'll read down to 37. Jesus says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Well, I'd like you to imagine with me this morning, and for some of you this isn't too hard to imagine, but I imagine that you walked in the room this morning with a a hot cup of coffee. I see some of you sitting there with them now, but imagine you didn't have a lid on this cup. And as you're walking along, shaking hands, someone bumps your elbow. And as they bump your elbow, what happens? Your coffee spills. So what, what spills in that moment? Is it Kool-Aid? No. Is, is it tea? No, it's coffee. Why? Because coffee is in the cup. In other words, it's not hard when it comes to this to figure this out. But basically, what's inside the cup comes out. So when someone bumps your cup... Only what is in the cup can come out. If you have water in the cup, water will come out. If you have coffee, coffee will come out. Just what's inside comes out. And that's what Jesus says here first, is that we're kind of the same way. In other words, what's inside us comes out. Well, if Jesus' words about the trees and the fruit sound familiar, that's because they are. He speaks them here in verses 33 and 34, but we saw John the Baptist in Matthew 3 say something similar. And then Jesus also in Matthew chapter 7 did as well. He said, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a diseased tree good fruit. And here Jesus says a tree is known by its what? By its fruit. In other words, if you're not real good at telling kinds of trees apart, if you walk into an apple orchard and you see rows of trees and you don't really know which is which, the way you tell a tree apart kind of at the end of the day is by the fruit on it. In other words, if you've ever walked out and you've taken a bite out of something that looked good and it was a crab apple, you pucker real quick. You know, that's not something you want to be eating. You can tell the difference between a crab apple and, I don't know, a nice, clean, honey crisp apple by the fruit. And it works the same way with people. People are the same way. Jesus confronts the Pharisees and he calls them a brood of vipers. Now, a viper isn't just any snake. A viper is a class of poisonous snake. In other words, they spread venom. So we know what the Pharisees are by the fruit, by the venom, the poison that comes out of them. And Jesus is talking about a very particular kind of poison. He said, how can you speak good when you're evil? In other words, these people are walking around undermining Jesus' ministry, saying all kinds of evil, evil things. But Jesus said, what do poisonous snakes do? They spread venom. What do diseased trees do? They spread disease. And the Pharisees Their words are so harmful. Jesus says those words come from where? Verse 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The heart isn't 
It's not a beating organ. I mean, it is. We know technically in our world it's a beating organ in our bodies. But, but the way they would use the word heart really is just kind of the center of your person. For us, we might call it some combination of mind, will, and emotion. In other words, it's the center of our being, our personhood, and everything that we are flows out from it. Well, Jesus says our words are the overflow of our heart. In fact, uh, before the service this morning, I saw someone back at our uh, drink station here in the back, Jordan Garza, and he was there, and he had a cup of hot water, and he had in that cup of hot water a tea bag. And he sticks that tea bag in there, and what happens? The hot water causes the tea to what we call seep out. And so his, by this time, had been seeping for a little bit, so it it was a little bit dark. And what comes out of the tea bag? Tea. What makes the tea come out? The hot water. You put the tea bag in the hot water, and what does the hot water do? It doesn't make the tea bag tea. It reveals what's inside that tea bag. And life for us is the same way. We walk through life, and God puts us in these circumstances, and what's inside us seeps out. In verse 35, Jesus uses the word good three times and the word evil three times. And he's highlighting here a contrast between good and evil. And what he's saying is that to be truly good isn't to be a fine, upstanding, church-attending kind of person. Because the Pharisees are in the synagogue every time the doors are open. Yet their hearts are evil. Uh, Sometimes, and there are people here who know a lot more about this than I do, uh, but sometimes in our culture, someone will stand before a judge or some sort of magistrate, and, and they've done something either really stupid or really wicked, and they'll say something along the lines of, or maybe, you know, I don't know, they're just judged in the court of public opinion, and they're standing in front of the media, and, and they say, well, I just want you to know this isn't who I am. And yet what Jesus says is the opposite, isn't it? He says, you did it because it is who you are. He's not saying you can't do something remotely good. You can do nothing good. He is saying that what comes out of us is what is who we are. The tea comes out of the tea bag. Someone bumps your cup and what comes out is who you are. But Jesus tells us we can't do something purely good or truly good. Romans 3.12 says no one does good, not even one. It's not saying that people can ever do something good. It's that you can't ever do enough good to be truly good. You see, we can't become good by making ourselves good. We don't become good by saying that's not who I am. We only become good by saying, that is who I am, and I need Jesus to change my heart. This is what Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all has become new. The new has come. You see, what happens is we are who we are. You bump our cup, the coffee spills out, you put us in hot water, and our temper flares, and it's just revealing something about us that we need God to change our hearts. But the New Testament isn't the first time we see this. In the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel predicts that this will happen. God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you. You see, part of what happens when we trust Jesus isn't just that Jesus rescues us from our sin. He does do that. He also gives us a new heart. It's the same language. When God created the world, God makes us a new creation. We cannot make ourselves good. Only God can make us good by his spirit. You see, what's inside comes out. 
So, when I'm walking through life and angry words come out my mouth, where are those words coming from? Coming from my heart. When I speak unkind words to my wife, my kids, a friend, where are those words coming from? They are coming from inside me. Walking around, I'm, I'm carrying the proverbial hot cup of coffee. Someone bumps the cup. And what do I want to say? I want to say, you bumped my cup. And what does Jesus say? It's coming out my heart. You see, we want to look at, like, who bumped my elbow? And Jesus says, that comes from, that comes from within. It's coming from your heart. That person, that circumstance isn't causing my sin. The hot water is revealing what's inside the tea bag. It's seeping out. And sometimes what seeps out isn't something we like. They're revealing how much we need Jesus. And then look at Jesus' words in verses 36 and 37. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. I mean, think about that. We will give an account for every word. There's no one here who doesn't get hit between the eyes with this one, is there? I mean, I, I don't get a pass here. And the, the way this manifests itself from life to life is different. I mean, sometimes some people struggle speaking deceitful words. Sometimes people speak angry words. But as James says, the tongue is like a fire that no one can tame. It roars and it burns. But if you'll bear with me just a minute... And I'm honestly, I'm a little bit hesitant, nervous to do this. I want to share a little bit of my heart with you this morning. Because I think there are a couple areas in our church life where this really, really hits us. And it's different from place to place. I mean, do we have problems with gossip? Sure. Smart, Alex? You're like, yeah, at our house we do. I mean, that, that's just the way that works. But, but there are some times here that this seems to crop up, and God's Word is really clear about those areas. One way is how we treat God's name. I mean, Jesus says, third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Yet this is something that, honestly, we struggle with regularly. It's not uncommon for people here, oh my, oh, you don't, you don't have to picture it because you, you know it. It's just, it's just it's part of who we are. But God says this ought not to be among people that call themselves followers of Jesus. But another way this crops up is the way we treat one another. I mean, I can honestly say this has not happened to me here. It's happened to me in life. Uh, but I've seen it happen and heard of it happening where members of the same body of Christ just rip into one another. Just rip one another to shreds and then walk away and maybe act like nothing happened. Sometimes over really, really small things. Okay, let's just be honest. We can disagree. There are a lot of things, you know, if, if we sat down and talked about 100 things, we might disagree on 50 of them. We're going to disagree a lot. And we can and sometimes should disagree, but the way we disagree matters. Differences in perspective don't excuse just kind of unleashing. 
I mean, the fruit of the Spirit still is love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness. Ephesians 4.28 still is true. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, that it may give grace to those who hear. We're not trying to make mindless robots who agree on everything. That's, that's not the point. And if we did, we, we couldn't do it. So we're not really going to try. But we are committed to building a culture characterized by grace and graciousness. And some of us need to do this. Like, Look, I lost it. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? I mean, how does the fact that we will give an account for every word confront the way we use our words? Well, let's move on to verses 38 to 42, where we see evil hearts are blind to Jesus. I'll begin reading in verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented of the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. I mean, the Pharisees are a special crew, aren't they? And they're walking along. Jesus is healing people. He's casting out demons, raising the dead. And they're like, uh, could you show us a sign? They asked for a sign. They've seen many signs. You see, the problem with them isn't that Jesus hasn't done enough. The problem is that they will not believe no matter how much Jesus does. So Jesus responds strongly in verse 39, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Well, does God ever work through signs? Well, yeah, a lot. I mean, we see this over and over in the life of Christ. On the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, the Spirit's coming is accompanied by significant signs, people speaking in tongues, fire on people's heads. But the point that Jesus is making is that God doesn't exist at our beck and call. He reveals himself, and we're responsible to respond to who he is. He's not our puppet. He's the sovereign creator of the universe. Well, the sign of Jonah, God sent a prophet to Nineveh to proclaim the truth. Well, in the same way, Jesus' life and ministry are his sign. Verse 40, just as Jonah was three days, three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Like Jonah was delivered from the fish, Jesus will be delivered, but his deliverance will be infinitely greater. Jonah's deliverance leads to the rescue of a single city. Yet Jesus' resurrection leads to the rescue of untold millions through faith in Christ. So Jesus says in verse 41, indeed, something greater than Jonah is here. 1 Kings chapter 10, a queen, what Jesus calls here the queen of the south, uh, First Kings calls her the Queen of Sheba. She travels to visit Solomon because she's heard stories of Solomon's wealth and Solomon's wisdom. And so she travels from modern-day Yemen all the way north through Saudi Arabia. It wasn't Yemen or Saudi Arabia at the time. But she gets up to Jerusalem and sees Solomon. It's a long and difficult journey. And when she gets to Jerusalem, she finds that the rumors don't even tell the story. She says, the half was not told me. Your wealth and wisdom are more than I could have imagined. 
The moment that she sees and hears of Solomon's wisdom, she believes. But now Jesus says, as great as Solomon's wisdom is, something greater than Solomon is here. In both cases, Jesus' point is the same. Verse 41, the people of Nineveh believe, so they'll condemn these people. Verse 42, the, the, the queen of Sheba believed, and so she will condemn these people. You see, Jesus is a greater prophet than Jonah could ever dream of being. He's a greater king than Solomon could ever imagine being. He's the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament anticipates. The perfect priest who will offer a perfect and final sacrifice. The perfect prophet who will perfectly speak the words of the Lord. And the perfect king who will wisely and eternally lead God's people. Yet We're not a whole lot different than this generation, are we? We have the written word of God. We have the incarnate word of God, Jesus Christ, as Hebrews 1 says, God has spoken at many times and in many ways, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Jesus is the greater prophet. He is the greater king. We were all created to be in an eternal relationship with this king, but the only way to truly know this king is to believe in him by faith. It's not blind faith. Jesus isn't telling these Pharisees to believe in him blindly. He's he's showing them who he is, and yet they refuse to believe. It's faith that sees who Jesus is and responds to who he is in spite of all that we still can't see. Jesus shows us a lot, but there's a lot we don't know. God reveals himself to us, and yet there's a lot he doesn't reveal. But in spite of the fact that there's a lot we can't see, we must trust that Jesus is our only hope. Will you trust him today? Because verses 43 to 45 teach us that self-cleansing doesn't work. Let's read those verses together. Jesus tells kind of a weird story now. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Now that sounds like a good thing if you're a mom, but it's not a good thing in this story. Then it goes and it brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. So last week, Jesus is casting out demons, and the Pharisees accuse him of doing it by the power of Satan. Now Jesus tells a little parable about a demon. This person has a demon cast out only to end up in a worse spot. In the end, verse 45, the last state of that person is worse than the first. So what's Jesus' point? It's similar to what he said earlier in verse 30. He said, whoever is not with me is against me. In other words, there is no neutrality with Jesus. So the kind of a relationship with Jesus that claims all the easy parts, eternal life, home in heaven, no expectations. Well, There are parts of that that are true, but you don't have that apart from taking up your cross, dying daily, and leaving all and following Jesus. See, a passive relationship with Jesus is no relationship at all. I mean, at some level, we're all here because we need something. And it might be this, that we need to be here for mom today, or we feel like we need something from Jesus, or we need a relationship, or there's something that we're looking for. It's not uncommon for people to come looking for Jesus when they're in trouble. You know, when their marriage is falling apart or they lose a job. When you're experiencing the consequences of addiction. But sometimes it's possible to want deliverance from our problems without also wanting Jesus. Like, Jesus, can you help my marriage? And then I'm, I'm good. When the marriage is fixed, we move on. 
But Jesus' point is that wanting deliverance without wanting Jesus himself is no relationship at all. I mean, you know this doesn't work. In marriage, if all you want is what that person can give you, and you don't want real relationship with that person, it's, it's just a transactional relationship. And when you've given me all I can take or all that you have to give, we're done. It's real easy wanting what Jesus can do without embracing all that Jesus is and all that he requires. But Jesus says, it's not possible to get part of me. It's all or nothing with me. It's important to not only want deliverance from sin, but also to replace old patterns of sin with Jesus, with God's means of growing in grace, relationship with Jesus, commitment to a local church, real relationships with believers. What happens if we don't replace our old patterns of life with new patterns of life? We fall back into the same way of doing things. That's what the parable is about. The, the, the demon leaves and yet he comes back and it's empty. He brings his friends. So what do we replace kind of this way of life with? And let's consider the final verses in Matthew 12, 46 to 50. Jesus' family is a family of faith, a faith family. Verse 46 While Jesus was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. We have a a saying that we say, blood is thicker than what? Than water. Well, here Jesus says faith is thicker than blood. There are a lot of confusing parts in this section of Matthew 12. But I got to say, this section kind of takes the cake, especially on Mother's Day. I mean, mom shows up looking for her son, and he's like, who's my mom? I mean, that ain't going to make any mom feel good. Mom shows up wanting to see son, and some better say, hey, mama, that, that, that's just the way this works. And yet, Jesus says, who's my mom? There's a part of us that feels offended for Jesus' family. Maybe, I don't know, feels like rightfully so. Sounds like he's a little bit cruel, a little bit rude. But to understand this, we kind of got to understand, it's, it's a matter of perspective. So imagine uh, with me that we're not here for worship this morning, we're not here for church you're here for a wedding, okay? And we're all here, and as, as we look around, there are, there's a bride and groom, and they come down the aisle. We look here, and sitting on the second row is a mom. And this mom is sitting there, and you know, bride walks down the aisle, and she begins to sulk. She's like, wait a second. Don't you know I'm the one who brought you into this world? Don't you know I'm the one, like, I did this? Like, you wouldn't be here without me? And we begin to feel a little sorry for her. Now, look, I got to admit, I don't look forward to this day. I'm I'm hopefully at least a few years out on this one. But uh, there's a part of me that, like, already as a parent feels like, all right, buddy, you know, you you better step up to the plate here. You know, like the the, the productive dad in me, I I can sense that already. But that day, is, is that day, that wedding day, Is that about rejecting mom, or is it about something else? It's actually about something else, isn't it? Okay, there is a very difficult changing of relationship. That's just a part of that. But 
But the highlight of that isn't what's going on on, on row two. It's, it's what's happening here, isn't it? In fact, that day is a lot more about inclusion than it is about exclusion. It's a lot more about love than it is about rejection. Why? Because it's, it's two people committing to one another. It's, it's husband and wife, lifelong covenant commitment in marriage. I mean, if, all, if we walk away for a wedding and all we think is, man, that's a terrible day for mom and dad, we're kind of missing the point of the wedding, aren't we? I mean, weddings are, are celebrations. They're celebrations of two people coming together in love. It's about acceptance on a whole different level. I mean, rich, poor, sick, health, better, worse, it's all there. And it's a commitment. It's, it's, it's a lifelong commitment. It's far beyond what we commit in other relationships. I mean, I've never had a friend of me say, look, you're going to commit here? I mean, for better, for worse? Rich, poor? When I'm sick, you're going to take care of me? It, it, it's not the way it works. But in marriage, that's what we look for, and that's what we verbalize. You see, this passage is all about perspective. We sit here, and all we recognize is the struggling mother will miss the amazing story of love and acceptance. See, Jesus isn't heartless. He's actually kind of raising the bar on what love and acceptance look like. Jesus takes our our normal perception of what it means to be family, and he pulls the rug out from under it. Would you like to be Jesus' brother or sister? It's like there are only two requirements. One is that you spend time with me, and two is that you do the Father's will. Verse 49, he stretches out his hand towards his disciples and says, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. I mean, I can only imagine how I'd feel if after the, the second service, I walk over to the, the CDC and I'm like, Hey, is Joseph here? And they're like, Joseph, your dad's here. And he's like, Who's my dad? He's like, This, this is my family. There's something about that that, that would feel wrong. Come on, dude. And, and yet, Jesus' physical family is outside, but Jesus points to a group of people sitting at his feet, listening and learning. It's these people have devoted themselves to knowing Jesus, understanding who he is. So what does it take to become part of Jesus' family? Spend time with Jesus, like these people, and do God's will. That's it. So in Luke 11... Uh, Jesus has been speaking, and this woman is just kind of overcome because he's such an amazing speaker. And she says, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nurse, which is kind of a weird way to express yourself in public, but apparently that's, you know, that's what they did. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. In other words, Jesus says there's a special place in his kingdom for those who hear and follow God's word. And doing the will of God is turning to Jesus in repentance and faith. So this moment sounds like bad news for Jesus' family, but it is great news for us. I mean, on Mother's Day, the best news for you, for me, is that we can be part of Jesus' family by faith. You're Jesus' brother, Jesus' sister. Well, Matthew writes these words, it's 50 or 60 years after Jesus has died. By this time, uh, Jesus' brother and sister are well-known leaders in the church. James is, is the pastor, the, the head pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Mary holds an honored place in the early church, his mother. And now Jesus says the more important relationship is that we are family. It's a family of faith. 
You see, the gospel revolutionizes the way we think about family. So how does this work itself out in our lives? Well, at some level, sometime there's going to be a moment, no, no matter who we are, no matter how independent we are, where, where we feel lonely. It might be because things are tough at home, and the place where we ought to feel the most accepted is the place we're really struggling. Or it might be because, I don't know, things are okay at home, but you feel like you've got no friends. You're walking through life, or maybe you lost a spouse. Maybe your spouse left you. You're walking through life, and you feel lonely. You hit 13 years old, and suddenly all that cuteness, you're like, what happened here? All the, all the kids around me turn into piranha, and we just eat each other. Well, how would it change the way we experience that if we learn to chew on, remember, and meditate on this fact that Jesus considers me his brother? Jesus considers me his, his, his sister, which means we have the same daddy. Who's my daddy? It's, it's the Father in heaven. What Jesus is saying here isn't so much about these eight, my, my mother and my brothers. He's saying, rather, we are part of the same family through faith. God has accepted you. This is why Romans 8 says that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 tells us God has made us accepted in the beloved. God accepts us as his son. He looks at us like his son. What we looked at last week where God the Father says about the Son, this is my beloved Son, the one in whom my soul delights. God looks at us. God looks at those who are His by faith in Christ. And he says, this is the one in whom my soul delights. It doesn't matter if friends forsake me. It doesn't matter at some level if this, if this marriage is breaking and falling apart. If, if Jesus is all I have, Jesus is enough. Jesus, the way he talks about family, changes the way we think about family. Jesus says the truer, greater family is the family of faith. Now look, God's word is real clear about family relationships. Husbands love wives, parents to kids. He's real clear about that. But what he's saying is that those relationships, they're always imperfect. I mean, no matter, I mean, look, if... Dude, if you're, if you're the greatest husband on the face of the earth, you can't love people like Jesus loved people. Mom, if you're the greatest mom on the face of the earth, you can't love your kids like God loves his kids. Our families are just small pictures of the greater family of faith that is ours through Jesus. We got the same dad. Sometimes we bicker because we're brothers and sisters. Our first relationship, I mean our first relationship, isn't pastor-member, it's brother-sister. The ground at the foot of the cross is all level. We all sit there and it says the same thing to all of us. We're sinners and we have a great Savior. But it also declares to us that we are one family, one body, one church because of Jesus. He has made us his brothers and sisters. The gospel completely changes the way we think about family. How should it change the way you relate to the family of faith? at Ashley River. Well, let's take a minute now and respond to God's word and repentance of faith. I'll give you a moment to talk to God personally in your seat, and then I'll close this in prayer.